All right, good morning, Three Circle Church. We've got all of our campuses joining us right now and all those online. And uh, you know what? Sometimes here in, in where we are, are broadcasting from in South Alabama, we say it's cold and sometimes it's not. Let's be honest. The rest of the world makes fun of us. Our brothers and sisters in Colorado, South Dakota, they think, nah, it's not. But today we're for real, right? Today it's cold. It's really cold, okay? So I see you all dressed up like you're on a ski trip in Colorado right now, and you just enjoy yourselves because, uh, you know, it'll be 80 degrees next week. It'll be fine. So here we are, and we're going to continue in the David and Goliath series. The thing about a familiar story like David and Goliath is that if we are not careful, we will allow that very familiarity to keep us from really understanding the truth that's there. And I, I want us to avoid that. I want us to get all the good out of it. So here's kind of a rule of thumb I have for handling the scriptures. If I am very familiar with a passage, I want to walk more slowly through it. Does that make sense? Because the more slowly and carefully we walk through a passage that we're very familiar with, we then can uh, remove the blinders that that familiarity has placed upon us. We see what's really there. That's what we're trying to do with David and Goliath. And, and as we have looked at it, what we have seen is there's a whole lot more there for us than we realized. Uh, first of all, we learned in week one that a passive person is always going to have consequences for that passivity. Uh, we saw that in King Saul. King Saul is Israel's big man, but he will not fight. He will not act. And there's prices to be paid for that. Uh, Goliath, the champion of Philistine, their giant, their hand-to-hand -hand combat fighter, uh, is challenging Saul every day for 40 days, twice a day. That's 40 days, 80 times Saul does nothing. But then we saw in week two, last week, uh, what a person of action looks like and sounds like. You know what a, per a passive person sounds like, right? That's it. Nothing. But, but active people drive passive people nuts. Why? Because they're noisy. Because stuff starts happening. And we learned last week, how many times did David hear Goliath issue the challenge? How many times? One time. <clears throat> Saul had heard it 80 times. The Bible says, and on the 81st time when Goliath stood and said those words, David heard it. Oh, you messed up now because you let an active person hear. Active people have to do something. And the first thing we hear David saying is, what are we going to do about this? What are we going to do with this guy? That's what active, engaged people sound like. They sound like that. We're going to do something. So we're learning so much. But I want to remind us today at the, at the outset that the story of David and Goliath, while it has all of these secondary applications that we're learning and applying to our lives, the main thing in the story is that it's a part of the great narrative of the gospel and of the Bible. And so there is this thing in theological world called typology. It comes from a Greek idea where we get our typewriter, where it typesets different letters. Typology is a thing we see in the Old Testament where we see road signs in people and in their lives pointing us to Jesus, like a preview for a really good movie, okay? And David is one of those, we call it a type of Jesus. It's not that he is Jesus, it's that he's pointing to him, okay? I want to show you today five ways that David is indeed what we would call a typology of Christ. First of all, both are born in Bethlehem. So David, you know, two kings born in the same little, little podunk redneck town. You know what I mean? I guarantee you, it had one little blinking light and a dollar general. You know what I'm talking about. And the best burger place you've ever had in your life. 
It'll be called a lot of different names. But you know what I'm talking about, right? You see them, you're like, that's probably got one of the best burgers ever, right? There. Both are from the tribe of Judah. Both from the, from the same tribe. David started the kingly line. Jesus is going to finish it. They're on that same line. That's why the Gospels point us to it. David represents, in a substitutionary way, he substitutes himself and represents all of Israel against its greatest enemy, Goliath and Philistine. Jesus is going to substitute himself and represent all believers for all time before their greatest enemy, Satan, hell, eternity apart from God, and death itself. You see the connections? You've got to connect the dots. And then finally, David, we'll see next week, is going to take Goliath's head. Jesus is going to crush Satan's. One of my favorite places in the Bible is where God looks at Satan in the Garden of Eden after he's done all this. And he looks at him and he says, there is one coming. And you are going to bruise his heel. And he is going to crush your head. I love that verse. Put a little wiggle in your spirit, won't it? Get you fired up a little bit. So David is pointing to Jesus. In fact, the book of Matthew, your gospels all have different angles. The book of Matthew, that gospel, Matthew wrote his gospel to show Jewish people that Jesus was the promised Messiah. And in order to do that, he connected the dots between Jesus and, you guessed it, our guy we're talking about, David. In fact, he uses a title for Jesus over and over again in his gospel. And it is the son of David. You ever seen that? And you went, why is he called the son of David? Because he's connecting the dots in scripture to let you see that this isn't some accident. It's in a Disney movie. This is real life. And the God of the universe had a plan. And David was a part of that plan. And so now that we kind of get the picture that this thing's pointing us to Jesus, ultimately, we can now begin to learn from the story. And so we hopefully have seen so far that we're called by believers to be active to engage in our lives. But once we put our yes card on the table to engage and not be passive like Saul, but start learning and being inspired by David to engage, well, what, what do we do then? In other words, how do we do it? Now that we've decided to do something in our marriages, in our families, in our lives, whatever our giants look like, how do we do it? How do we go about it? And David's gonna show us today how he did it. And we can learn from him. And what we're going to do is we're going to go to the scriptures and we're going to, we're going to ask three questions about what we see right in front of us. Because here at Three Circle, the, the, the Bible is the boss, okay? The, the word of God is in the driver's seat. So what we're trying to do is learn what does the Bible have for us today. And I see three details that, that we're going to ask a question about. And here it is. Number one, why did David choose a sling and stones? Number two, why did he choose five stones? And number three, why smooth stones? All those details are there. And I think those are questions we need to answer, and they're going to lead us somewhere. Number one, why slinging stones? Number two, why five stones? Number three, why smooth stones? Let's go to 1 Samuel 17, 38. It says this. Then Saul clothed David with his armor. He put a helmet of bronze on his head. He clothed him with a coat of mail. David strapped Saul's sword over his armor. He tried in vain to go, for he had not tested them. Then David said to Saul, I cannot go with these for I've not tested them. So David put them off. Hit the pause button. One thing for us to take, that's what active people do. Active people waste very little time continuing to do things that don't work. How quick did David get that stuff off? He's like, yeah, yeah, this isn't going to work. 
I got a giant to fight. I'm, it's urgent. I can't keep trying stuff that doesn't work. Quick pivot, quick change. That's what active people look like and sound like. He put them off. But now he's going to do something. How does David fight the battle? Then he took his staff in his hand. He chose five smooth stones from the brook and put them in the shepherd's pouch. His sling was in his hand, and he approached the Philistine. Let's slowly walk through this and answer those questions. And the first one, why a sling and stones? Why would you choose a sling and stones to go to battle against the greatest hand-to-hand combat fighter in the world at that time? That's who Goliath is. Goliath is not dumb. He's very smart, and he is a vicious, dangerous man. He is a hand-to-hand combat fighter extraordinaire. He's got all the battles, all the weapons. Why does David choose a sling and stones? Number one, because he was secure in who God had uniquely made him to be. David was a country boy. David had been listening to Amarillo by morning, day after day, out in the woods. David was David like he had never been trained as a, he's not trained as a soldier. He didn't know how to use a sword. He's not trained like the, he's not special ops. He has spent his life tending sheep. That's what he does. So he decides that in his greatest moment of his life up until this point, the greatest battle ever, instead of trying to be someone he's not, and instead of trying to listen to what other people tell him that he should do, he decides I'm going to be who God's made me to be. It's kind of like this. I, I, got, I know someone who whenever they have people over, so whenever, and you wouldn't know this, it's not connected to our church in any way, even, it's, you wouldn't know them. So I'm not talking about anybody here. But there's a person I know, and when they have people over, they're going to try a recipe they've never tried every single time. <laughs> every time. And here, I'm just helping you here. If you got a bunch of people coming over, that is not the time for you to try that thing you saw Rachel Ray do the other day, that thing Emeril Lagasse did on his show, because you are not them. But the problem is this person cooks great stuff. So it's like, you gotta go with your hits, man. You gotta go with your greatest hits when you got people coming over. The things you know you can do. If you make great deviled eggs, plate them up. That's what we need, not that new thing you saw. It's kind of like this summer, my wife and I spent the money to go here our, one of our favorite bands, I grew up on these guys, listened to them in college, the Dave Matthews Band. They came to the wharf in Orange Beach. Dave Matthews has one of the greatest songs of all time, in my opinion. It's called Ants Marching. It's his biggest, greatest hit. She wakes up in the morning. Y'all know it. Bought to eat and she rolling. Yeah, that's my Dave Matthews. If you've never heard of Dave Matthews, there it is. That's what it is. <clears throat> so we're so excited. We go to Dave Matthews Band plays almost three hours at the wharf and never does ants marching. You know what he did? He did his last album that he did that no one likes. We don't care about that. No one's bought a Dave Matthews album in 20 years. We came to hear ants marching. That's what we came for. And at the end of the concert, after he had come out two more times and played other songs we didn't like, I can tell it's over and I just yelled out at him. I just yelled, she wakes up in the mall. I was like, come on, bro. But on a big concert with 10,000 people that showed up to hear him, he decided to do stuff that no one wanted to hear. Why? Listen, listen. 
David, when his biggest moment came, he said, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to do what God has created me to do. I don't fight like that. I'm not Saul. I'm not the biggest, strongest guy around, but I'll tell you what I am. I am an assassin with a slingshot, and that's how we're going to roll. David also was prepared to use the skills God had given him. Let me help you here. Every Christian gets a toolbox, so to speak. You have a toolbox that God gives you. He who begun a good work in me will be faithful to complete it. You get a toolbox, listen, that God begins to fill up for you. You don't even know he's doing it. Every experience, every failure, every victory, everything you go through, God's putting tools in your toolbox. And you don't realize it until the battle comes. And David had no idea that all those years out there with those sheep, I mean, what do you do when you're a young man and you're stuck for weeks at a time, sometimes in the wilderness with a bunch of sheep? You start shooting stuff. That's what you do. And over time, David became so good with a slingshot that he became an assassin. He was a dang... He too was a, see, Goliath was a dangerous man. He had no idea that the young man standing in front of him was dangerous too. By the way, Goliath was not the scariest thing David had ever seen. God had already prepared his toolbox. This is his biggest moment. That's not the biggest enemy he's ever faced. Have you ever seen a bear? Have you ever looked at a lion? I floated by a bear one time on a fly fishing trip, a grizzly. It was up on the bank. I've never prayed so hard in my life. <laughs> he was fishing. He was looking down and he was fishing too. He never even looked at us. And that, that is an awesome creature. And the guide with us, he said, don't worry about it. I got a can of bear spray. Oh, okay. All right. So that, that 800 pound monster comes running at us because the creek's about this deep. No pro- if he decides I look better than the fish, no problem. I got a can of spray. David had faced a bear and a lion and took them down. Goliath is not the scariest thing he's ever seen. So he decides that God has prepared him for this. And haven't you, if you walk with God long, you will face things. You realize, my goodness, God's been preparing me for this and I didn't even know it. David was the most uniquely prepared man in all of Israel to face that giant. And no one realized it. Why? Because you don't go to -to hand-to-hand combat with the best hand-to-hand combat fighter on earth. What do you do? You shoot him. (laughs) That's what you do. And David was committed finally, as we're saying, to a winning strategy. Now watch out for this because everyone around you will be glad to give you their losing strategy. This culture will be glad. Let me talk to teenagers for a minute. Single young adults. This culture would love to give you their strategy for sexuality and relationships. And it is a losing strategy. It's a losing strategy. Don't miss this though. If you decide to go the winning strategy, which David did, David decided, I'm going to go the way God has prepared me to go. Well, just be warned, you will look crazy. Everybody around you is going to think something's wrong with you. Because as David goes walking down into the valley that day, dressed like a shepherd with a sling in his hand and a pouch full of rocks, with no armor on and no sword and no shield, he looks crazy. That's how it looks when you walk with God often. 
when the whole world thinks you should do this, and you, when the whole world's saying zig and you zag, even Goliath thought it. Remember Goliath's like, what is this? What are you doing? But if you remember, you're going to see it next week. First thing Goliath does is tries to get David to come close. He's like, come on down. Come on. Come on right here. David's like, no, no, no. See, Saul was a trained hand-to-hand combat fighter. Saul knew how to fight this way. David did not. David has no intention of getting anywhere near Goliath. Goliath keeps going, come come on, come on and fight me. David's just swinging that sling. He's just warming up, baby. He was committed to a strategy that God gave him that was the winning strategy. And I just want everyone in this room, God gives us strategies in his word that that look crazy to the world, but they're right and they're good and, and they're costly in the moment, but they're so great in the long run. And it's for marriage and family, even down to your finances. This world is lying to us and telling us that this is the way when God's way is where the real life, real joy, real victory lies. That's where it is. But too many of us, too many of us buy in to the strategies and we're teaching our kids to. Our kids buy into the same losing strategies because we preach one thing, but we live a different way. And I'm telling you, your kids are watching more than they're listening. Period. So David said, I am going to commit myself to the strategy that God has created me to do. It's in my hand. So when we ask the question, how do we get started? When we say yes to God, well, how do we go about it? Start with who you are. Who's God made you to be? What's your background? What, what has God uniquely put in you? For me, I, I just knew as a kid I liked to talk a lot. You know the story. My grandmother as a kid used to say all the time, you could talk the horns off a billy goat. That's what she would say. She was not being nice. I thought she was. Later in life, I realized. I was like, seriously? She said, hey, you wouldn't shut up. I remember when I was a kid, we did these cantatas at my church. And I had this one little line. This is where, this is where and, and I didn't know God was, God had a toolbox for me, a unique little toolbox. We had this cantata, I was a little kid, and I got a funny line. I had a line that I was supposed to walk out with a little shepherd. I had this funny line. Backstage, I was like seven years old, and I'm trying to get it. This was, you know, I was so nervous. And I got out there, and I was so scared. And in my church, everybody's there. And I walked out, and I gave the line. And the place roared in laughter. And I thought, oh, oh, I like that. Uh, that, that mm, I'm not nervous. Are you not entertained? You know what I mean? I felt right there. I'm ne- never nervous again in front of people. God, I didn't know that God was just putting little tools in the tool. He's doing the same for you. I'm just telling you my little story. That, that God has used over, over time. He's done that for you. The problem is. God can fill up the toolbox of a believer and that believer refused to use those tools. Saul has a full toolbox. God made him big, good looking. He made him, go back and read it. Saul has already, everyone's scared of Saul. That's why Goliath is is asking him to come fight. Saul is known throughout the land as being a very dangerous hand-to-hand combat fighter. He's won battle after battle after battle. But he decided one day to close his toolbox. 
Have you closed yours? Have you ever even used the box God's given you for his glory and the good of those around you? He was committed. Now, why five? I understand why he got a sling and stones because that's how he was created by God. This is what he does. But why five of them? Some would say, well, this is, this is David not having enough faith. If he really believed in God, he would have just taken one rock. Well, if that's the case, then why, why sling or anything? Why don't you just walk out there and tell Goliath to fall down? You see how bad, bad theology sounds so good sometimes. It does. It works really well on Facebook. We'll say things like, well, if God wants it to happen, it will. If not, it won't. Put that on Facebook right now. You get 150 likes. Hearts, amen, brother, preach it. Is that what the Bible teaches us? The sovereignty of God does not negate the action of believers obedient to him. Why five stones? Well, number one, David trusted God, but he's going to use all of his toolbox, his experience, his training, and his intelligence. He's not going to presume upon God that it's going to take one rock. He's not going to say, if you're with me, God, I don't need the other rocks. Might want to take as many as you can have. I'm convinced the reason there's five rocks is because that's how many his pouch could hold. That's just me. I'm not reading into the Bible. I'm telling you, I don't know. No one knows, by the way. I think that he grabbed as many rocks as he could hold. He had a pouch. That's what it says. Filled his pouch up with rocks. I think he knew I can probably get about five in there. But he trusted God. He trusted God Yes, but he also realized, I've got to use what God's put in my hands. So he trusted God, but he's going to use his toolbox. Secondly, this is not a lack of faith. It's not a lack of faith. It's the presence of prudence. You know, the Bible talks a lot about prudence. It means that David's going to use his brain. Yes, he trusts God. He's going to use the brain God's given him to take action, but good action, smart action. He's a slingshot specialist. He's an aficionado of the sling. He's a slingshot champion. He's an assassin. He knows how to do this. So yes, he's going to get a bunch of stones. Also, the Bible gives you a detail in another place. You may not realize in another recounting of the story, the Bible lets us know that Goliath had family. And they were all big giants too, just big dudes. And according to how you translate the Hebrew language, either Goliath had a giant brother with three giant sons, or Goliath has three giant brothers. It could go either way. But at the end of the day, here's what we know that everybody knew, including David. Goliath had family, at least four of them who were huge too. So David might have just said, I got one for him, and if the rest of them come down the hill, I'm taking them out too. I don't know though. I don't know. I'm not reading into scripture. Could have been. But what I do know is the principle here that David did not go... God, you're with me, so I'm just going to walk down there and see what happens. That's not it. It's both trust and action. Finally, David understood that trust, this is it, this is the principle. It does not replace action, it fuels it. Trusting God does not replace our action, it becomes the fuel for the action. Does that make sense? I trust God, I use my toolbox. I trust God, I use my brain. I trust God, I use everything I have that God's put in my box to bear upon the situation. And that's what we have to do as well. So he goes and he gets as many stones as the pouch can hold to deal with what he's dealing with. Charles Spurgeon in the 1860s was preaching on this passage. Charles Spurgeon was one of the best preachers of all time, one of the greatest theologians. He says this, 
On this passage, by the way, I think it's so cool that now we're just going to take a trip back in time. He said, do the best you can and trust in God. God never meant that faith in him should be synonymous with sloth. Why, for the matter of that, if it is all God's work and that is to be the only consideration I need, then why do I need David to have a sling? There's not any need for David at all. He may just go back on his back in the middle of the field and say, God will do his work. He does not want me. That is how fatalists would talk, not how believers in God would act. They say God wills it, therefore I'm going to do it. Not God does it and therefore there's nothing for me to do because God works by me. Therefore I will work by his good hand upon me. He is putting strength into his feeble servant and making use of me as his instrument. Good for nothing though I am apart from him. Now I will run to the battle with alacrity. I will use my sling with the best skill I have, taking quiet, calm, deliberate aim at the monster's brow, since I believe that God will guide the stone and accomplish his own end. Man, I wish I could talk like Spurgeon. It just rolls off the tongue, doesn't it? The monster's brow. I like that. What's, what's Spurgeon teaching us? The principle. Spurgeon's saying, don't use lazy theology. If God, God wills it, I'll kill the giant. Well, how about getting some rocks and a sling and get good at it? You know? By the way, it would have been equally ridiculous for Saul if he would have decided to fight Goliath to walk out there with no armor and a sling. Because that's not who he was. We got to be who God's made us to be. And then we need to trust God and take faithful, wise action. It brings us to the last question. Why smooth stones? Why would he choose smooth ones? He's chosen five, and we understand now that that's just, that's just grabbing the ammunition that you need, but he didn't just choose any. Why smooth ones? In fact, help me here. When he walked down to the brook that day, how many stones do you think were in the brook? Were there five? hundred? Thousand? Would it be an exaggeration to think a, a creek or a brook could have 100,000 rocks in it? Maybe. It's a bed, right, of rocks, if you know that region. So there's rocks everywhere. David could have easily walked down and just scooped up a bunch of rocks, throw them in a pouch, let's roll them. I mean, God's, God's in it, right? God is sovereign. Watch out for lazy theology. Because yes, indeed, he is sovereign. And he has sovereignly given you a brain. And he has sovereignly filled your toolbox up for you to use. So what does David do? Listen to the intentionality. David goes and he looks into a brook full of possible rocks. And he carefully chooses, the Bible says, the smooth ones. You know how that, you got to take a minute, right? He's feeling the rocks. Goliath's still down there yelling at him. And he gets five because I think that's what his pouch could hold. Why did he do that? Well, the first reason is because important battles demand attention to details, folks. Important ba- this is an important battle. And we all have them too. You've got important things happening in your life. If you're a parent, that is on the list. If you're married, that's up on the list. We've got important stuff that God's put in our hands. We must choose carefully, watch this, what we sling at it. And the problem is many of us in this room, we, we listen to just any old advice 
We'll read any old book and think, well, that sounds good and just apply it. And, and, and we're not careful. We're just sling. We listen to whatever. We watch whatever. Let our kids listen to whatever. Let our kids watch whatever. Let our kids hang out with whoever they want and do whatever they want. Well, maybe it'll work out. That's Saul. That's what a passive person does. Saul, well, maybe the giant will go away. Maybe he'll get tired of yelling at us. No, he wasn't going anywhere. And so what I love about David is David is engaged to the point where he says, there's some details in this battle and I need to make sure that I do my part here. I trust in God. I'm going to pick smooth stones. And secondly, smooth stones make accurate ammunition. Have you ever been on a creek bank and tried to throw a misshapen rock at something? They don't fly true. They don't fly straight. David understood that he needed it to fly true. Now, where do you and I go to get, to get that level of dependability? And I'm just telling you, from a proverbial standpoint in your life, you need to always start with the word. Always start with the word. Listen to me, church. If we lose the authority of God's word, if this loses its authority in your life, it is a slippery slope that you have no idea where it leads. The authority is in God's word. Now, you can go get advice from people in other places, but even run that through the filter of God's word. If you want tr something that's going to ring true, we need to learn to use the sword of the spirit in our lives. There is no misshapen stones in this brook. It's all right there for us to take. Finally, choosing the wrong stone, we need to be aware, can lead to defeat. What if David would have just haphazardly not used the gifts God had given him to know how to pick the right stone for his sling, the right weighted stone for the target he's going to try to hit? What if he had just haphazardly reached into the creek and grabbed a bunch of misshapen rocks? I think we're telling a different story. I think the story goes, David slung the rock and it hit a dude back there somewhere, but not Goliath. I think we're telling a different story, a sad story about a boy who brought his brother's nachos, got himself killed by a big guy. But that's not the story because David used his toolbox. Too many of us are fighting really big battles with losing strategies if we have a strategy at all. We're, we're using the strategies of the world to parent to do marriage, to do sexuality, to do relationships. We're, we're haphazardly grabbing into the brook of the world and grabbing rocks that, that don't fly true when we have the brook, the water of God's word to pour over our lives. That's why he chose smooth stones. And see, this is where we are today. We've learned so far. We don't want to be like Saul and passive. We want to learn from David and become active, but there's a way to be obediently active. And we're seeing this today that it takes incredible intentionality and it takes trusting God, living in the tension of trusting God and doing what we know to do, what God's made us to do, uniquely made us to do. And there's tension there. We have incredible music at Three Circle Church they play these guitars. I have a couple of guitars in my office. And the thing about a guitar is, is it takes tension on the strings. So when it's out of tune, you get in your office, you get the little knob, and you go, right? You grab another one, you hear them all tuning. Makes your whole head turn a little bit as they get it right. 
But what they're doing is they're either increasing or releasing tension. There's a tension there. Beautiful music, it's being played under incredible tension, tightening those strings. We must live in the tension between we trust God and we take obedient action. We trust God and we're going to pick smooth stones. We trust God and we're going to use the sling God's given us and made us to have. First Peter told us about this tension. First Peter 1.13. It says, therefore, watch this. He starts with action. Prepare your mind for action. Be sober-minded. In other words, use your brain. Use your skills. But that's not what your hope is in. Look at this. He says, prepare your mind for action, be sober-minded, but set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. So look at that. He tells the church in the New Testament, take action, use your skill set, and put your hope in God. Use everything you've got and trust in God. That is a tension that we are to obediently and actively live in. Trust and action go hand in hand in the Christian life. They don't oppose one another. They go hand in hand. James 4, 17 says, so whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him it is sin. Think about that. To not act is actually sinful. We would say that to fail to plan in your life is is actually a plan. It's a plan to fail. Saul thought doing nothing was neutral. It's not. Doing nothing is actually a decision. Indecision is actually a decision. Saul made 80 decisions to do nothing. He made 80 decisions to not act. And David made one to act. I'll give you an example of this. I learned a principle from my dad. My dad and I were fishing. We would go fishing the various lakes and rivers and stuff around where I grew up. And my dad would shut a motor off when we got to a place to fish in a river, which is moving water. And he would take the paddle. He put it in, in the, and I always loved watching him do it. And my dad could put a boat wherever he wanted it and hold it there just by doing this, just barely moving the paddle. And I thought it was awesome. One day I was like, man, how do you do that? And he just, you'd have to know my dad. I got a paddle flying at me all of a sudden. You do it. I want to fish anyway. So my dad starts fishing. All of a sudden, the boat, and he's laughing. The boat's doing this. They're turning in circles. I could not do it. And my dad looked at me. He said, the secret is you got to get the boat moving a little bit first. He said, the first thing you do is get the boat moving, and then you can put it right where you want it. Principle, it's easy to steer a moving boat. But if you try to steer a boat that's sitting still, it just goes in a circle. It doesn't go anywhere. But if you get it moving, you can steer it anywhere. And that's the thing. Many of us, we wonder why things aren't happening. It's because you're just sitting there. Get moving. Get moving. Make some decision. Do something. And trust God. Use the tools he's given you. Start there and watch what God does. Active people don't sit around. They go, God, I'm going to do something. What are we going to do? And God steers moving boats. He has the sovereignty and the power to do so, but get something going. I would rather have imperfect action than perfect inaction. Seriously. Because a moving boat can be steered. 
So my question today is this, what will you do with what God's put in your hands? What will you do? Jesus, thank you for your grace and these stories that keep coming alive for us. Help us to live them out in your name. Amen.